Okay, good evening, everybody. Let's start uh, learning Perkei Ovis together again, which is the minute to do between Pesach and Shavuos. And as Hashem will go past Shavuos, we're starting a little later than usual. We also, um, depending on the size crowd that we have right now, we have about, uh, let's say, uh, between 10 and 15 of us. So if there's any questions, please raise your hand. We'll, uh, t- you know, the less people you have, the little more intimate you can get and more back and forth we can have. So that's appreciated well uh, as well. All right. So let's introduce We're back to our old friend that uh, we did every year. Unfortunately, last year we canceled because of, of COVID. So let's just give a short introduction. Why is Meseches Avos called Avos? Why is it called Avos? The word Avos we know means fathers. There's times in Halacha where also the word Avos can mean main categories. Okay, like there's 39 Avos Malachos, 39 primary categories of Malacha work that is forbidden to do on Shabbos. So, Avos really takes us back to our source, okay? Now, there's a very interesting idea from Rav Shamshin Rafal Hirsch, Zechrein Levracha. Rav Hirsch says the following. It says in the Torah, there's a command, Peru Uruvu. There's a mitzvah for a man to have children. The word Peru is to be fruitful, and Revu is to multiply. What's the difference between Peru and Revu? What's the difference between these two? So Refersh explains as follows. The word Peru means to be fruitful. A tree is fruitful. Horses are fruitful. Fish are fruitful. Anything can be fruitful. The word Peru is more in the numbers. But to be Peru, just to have children, is in and of itself not the whole mitzvah of the Torah. The mitzvah of the Torah is peru uruvu. Revu means not to be fruitful, but to multiply oneself into others. It's the quality that we give into others, which, by the way, is why a Rebbe is called a Rebbe and why a Rav is called a Rav. Because it's a, what, that, that's what the word means, from the word rov, to expand and to make more. It's the job of a Rebbe to expand themselves and to expand their teaching into others. That's why a Rebbe is called a Rebbe, okay? So the mitzvah of Peru Uruvu is not just to have children, it's to multiply oneself into others, which means that a person, even if they don't have children, can be Revu. We can multiply ourselves into others. We can still have a chalak, have a part in this mitzvah. Interestingly, all we need to do is look at as Masech the Avos. The word Avos means fathers. It's teachings of our fathers. Who are our fathers? The sages who are about to teach us all about life and what it means to live like a yid. Are we related to them? Not necessarily. Maybe, yeah, maybe no. Maybe some of us can trace ourselves directly back. I'm sure we all can eventually. But they're called avos, not because they actually give birth to us, but because they are our fathers, because they are expanding themselves 
into us through their teachings. It's an unbelievable concept, a beautiful concept, where we can be fathers, we can be parents to others without being blood parents of us. And interestingly, as we've said many times, a, a number of the Mishnayas begin with the words, Hu Haya Omer. So Hu Haya Omer would generally be translated as, he used to say. And then it goes on to the lesson, this sage used to say, Hu Yomer, he used to say. But there, uh, I believe it's the Meiri, might be somebody else will uh, explain this as we move along, I forget who says this, explains, if you translate the words Hu Haya Omer, that we'll see in the Mishnayis, literally, it really means, Hu Haya, he was, Omer, what he said. Hu Haya Omer, this sage that we're speaking about was this message. They lived this message. They didn't just, he used to say, no. He was this statement. This, this tzaddik, this sage was the, that they embodied that statement. And that's why this sage is Avos, is our father. Okay? So we're, we're looking back at our Mesora in Pirkei Avos. We're not just learning the halacha, the ins and outs of do this, don't do this, that, as far as following halacha. Avos is about allowing the chachamim to really expand themselves into us which is why it's called, and there's a few different explanations of this, but this is why it's called Pirkei Avus, the teachings of our fathers, because they are our father the same way that we can be a father and we can be a parent to others, even if we are not necessarily related. Okay, so let's begin. There's a custom before each parak, before each chapter of Pirkei Avos, to recite a Mishnah from Sanhedrin. Okay, and the purpose of reciting this Mishnah is to remind ourselves that even though there's a lot of work to do, Hakadosh Baruch Hu loves us, and we automatically have a chelak in Olam Haba. Let's read this through. Kol Yisrael Yeshlehem chelak the Olam Haba. Every Jew has a chelak, has a portion in the world to come in Olam Haba. Shenemar, as it says in the pasuk, the Amechulam Sadikim, your nation are all righteous. Every yid is special. Every yid is a, we are inborn tzaddikim. A tzaddik is somebody who slips and pulls themselves back together. They will forever inherit the land, either referring to Eretz Yisrael, but primarily referring to the eternal land, referring to Gan Eden. They are the sapling of my eye. They are a, a, a branch of my plantings. Because Baruch who says, that Kal Yisrael is a piece of me. Every year is a piece of me. My Seyodai, they are my handiwork, Lehispa'er, that I take pride in. There's nothing more precious to HaKadosh Baruch Hu than a Yidula. Nothing more precious to HaKadosh Baruch Hu than the Neshama, than each and every one of us, the Neshama of a year. Okay. Now, what we need to recognize is, even though this Mishnah is quoted and meant to give us Chizuk, we know, for those of us who have been lear- learning Bolvavi together, which Bez Hashem, we're restarting on Thursday, we know that every person's chilek in Olam Haba does look different. So even though we automatically receive a chilek in Olam Haba, it's still up to us to determine what that plot in Olam Haba looks like, what it, uh, you know, what it, uh, you know, where where we sit and how connected 
we are to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Okay, here we go. Let's begin Mishnah Aleph. Parak Aleph, Mishnah Aleph. Fascinating Mishnah. So, so crucial, so, so important. So many messages. Moshe Kibel Torah Misinai. Moshe accepted the Torah from Sinai. Umesara Yoshua and passed it to Yehoshua. And then the Mesora, the transmission, goes from Yehoshua to the Zikanim, so on and so forth. Let's pause for a minute. Look at the very beginning of the mission. Moshe Kibel Torah Misinai. It does not say that Hashem gave the Torah to Moshe as Mesorah. That's the wasn't Hashem giving it to Moshe is not is not through Mesorah. The Mesorah starts when Moshe gives it to Yehoshua. That's one thing we're going to focus on. An additional thing to notice is that it doesn't say Moshe Kibel Torah may Hashem. Rather, it says Moshe accepted the Torah from Sinai. Is Sinai a person? Is Sinai Hashem? Very unique. Okay, so I want to focus on these two points. First of all, why it says Moshe Kibel Torah mi Sinai. And also that when Moshe received it from Sinai, which we know ultimately is HaKadosh Baruch Hu, it uses an expression of Kabbalah, of acceptance. And afterwards, we start using the word Mesorah. We start using the word of tradition. Okay, so let's focus on these two things. First of all, what is the Mesorah? What is the transmission of Torah Shabbat? We know as from Yidim, there's Torah Shabbat and there's Torah Shabbat. There's the written Torah and the oral Torah. Many people, many, many people unfortunately think that the oral Torah, the Torah Shabbat is something that came about from teacher to student, teacher to student, through all later generations. That's Torah Shabbat. That is wrong. That's not Torah Shabbat. That's the Mesorah that went from Moshe to Yeshua and Yeshua to the elders, as we'll see as we read along the mission. But Torah Shabbat itself, the reality of the oral Torah was given at the same exact time. The entire Torah Shabbat was given at the same exact time as Torah Shabbat. It's not something that developed over the generations. The written Torah and the oral Torah were both given and handed to Moshe at Harsinai, the Rambam, okay, in his introduction to Mishnah Torah, the Rambam writes that when HaKadosh Baruch Hu, at the same time that Hashem gave the verse, the Pasuk to Moshe Rabbeinu, he also gave it along with all of the Drushos and all of the Torah Shabbat Peh. So Moshe received the Torah and all of the Torah Shabbat Peh as well. It is actually impossible to receive a Torah Shabbat Shabbat Sav. You cannot get a written Torah until you have an oral Torah. I'll prove it to you. All right? I'll prove it to you. The written Torah itself makes no sense without the oral Torah. Okay? For example, when it says that a a man should wear tefillin, which um, is a word, the the word tefillin itself doesn't appear in the Pesukim. There's nowhere in the Torah that it's used the word tefillin. It says you should take letotafos, the osal yadacha, you wrap it, uh, on your arms, right? it says you should put an os, you should put a sign on your arms, it's a zikaron as a reminder, totafos between your eyes, make totafos between your eyes, 
what in the world does this mean? What, what is it? What is the sign? What are these ornaments that I'm putting on me? It doesn't say that. That doesn't explain anything. It needs to be that the oral Torah was given at the same exact time. So much people could even understand what the written Torah was. Re- again, to reiterate, written Torah and oral Torah did happen in its entirety at Harsinai, except some things were written into the verse and some things were said out loud from Hashem's mouth to Moshe, that Moshe should pass it on oral. Why there needs to be an oral Torah is a sheer in and of itself, but there, there's no way for the written Torah to be transmitted unless there are some things transmitted orally. That is true as well. And just to bring out this point, bring out this point of the written Torah needing the oral Torah, there's a, a beautiful Gemara in Shabbos on the Flamet Aleph, on Aleph 31a in Shabbos. The Gemara in Shabbos brings a story, many of us may be familiar with the story, of a non-Jew that came to uh, that came to Hill and Shammai, right? So first the non-Jew comes to Shammai and he says, how many Torahs do you have? And Shammai says, there's two Torahs. There's the written Torah and the oral Torah, to which the non-Jew says, you know, uh, I'll take the written Torah, but I don't want the oral Torah. I don't believe in it. I don't want the oral Torah. Okay, so Shammai chases him out. Yeah, get out of here. No such thing. No, so you can't have a written Torah at all. Okay. Says the Gemara, the non-Jew comes to Hillel with the same request. Hillel saw that he was sincere, even though he wanted the written Torah without the oral Torah. Um, and um, Hillel was confident. There's a whole reason why he ultimately converted him. Apparently Hillel was confident that he was able to get rid of this person's doubts of the oral Torah. And Hillel converts him. But he says, I'll convert you if you accept the, the written Torah. But I want you to come along with me. All right, you're going to be my chavusa. So what happens, says the Gemara, the first day, Hillel converts him. And he says, you know how to read Hebrew? He says, no. Says, okay, I'll teach you the olive piece. So he comes in, he sits down. He's Jewish now. Hillel converted him. He said he's going to take the written Torah, right? Awesome. So what happens? Hillel um, says, listen, this is an olive this is a bays. this is a gimel, this is a dalid. Go home and review. You ready? This shape is an aleph, this shape is a bays. this shape is a gimel, dalid, so on and so forth. Go do your homework. Yeah, go, go chazar. The chazara, go review. Okay. So the guy goes home. He does his homework. And he comes back the next day for class. Hillel points to the aleph and he says, this is a gimel. And he points to the bays and he says, this is a dalid. And he points to the gimel and he says, this is an aleph. The guy's like, what? But yesterday you told me that that shape is an olive, and that shape is a base, and that shape is a... I don't understand. Says Hillel, beautiful. You see that you need to rely on me as the Chachamim for you to recognize the letters properly, the same way you need to rely on me and trust me that an olive is an olive, and a base is a base, and a gimel is a gimel, so too you need to trust me about the truth of the Torah Shabal Peh, which is going to be transmitted Rebbe to student. There is always, always going to be parts of Torah that need to be passed down orally. It demands our trust in the Chacham, because without trust in the Chachamim and without the, the understanding of the MS of the oral Torah, nothing ultimately is true. Because you can question anything. How do I know? An Aleph is an Aleph. Who says, where's the Messiah? Where it's show me, maybe an olive makes a tough sound. <laughs> maybe, 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 maybe anything, right? 
you need a Torah Sheval passed down Rebbe to student in order for there to be understanding and trust and, and connection in anything. Okay, so what does it mean, Moshe Kibel Torah Misinai? Let's go back to our questions. So here we go. Moshe accepted. Why does it use the word accepted? First of all, because when you deal with a Rebbe and student, when we deal with human beings, you can have a Rebbe and a Talmud. You can have a teacher and the student together. When we're learning from Hashem, and we're learning from God, we can't fathom that. Even Maishu Rabbeinu, the greatest of the great, above all, Maisha, the, the great Moshe, to say that he was somehow connected to the greatness of Hashem, like as in a Mesorah form, is impossible. The word Kibel is telling us that we as humans need to be humble. And if Hashem says something, even if, not even if, but there's no way we can ultimately wrap our heads around it. We need to take Hashem's words as a Kabbalah. It's a Kabbalah. It's not a Mesorah. It's a Kabbalah. We just take it in. I'm a Kabbalah. I take it. When it comes to a Rebbe, okay, that's part of the Mesorah. You question the Rebbe. You answer the Rebbe. Ultimately, we know that the Rebbe is the one who's closer to our Sinai and has the truth. Great. But Moshe Kibel from Sinai and then passes it over to the students. And we also asked, why is it called Sinai? Why say Moshe accepted the Torah from Sinai. So there's a few different uh, interpretations. One message the Gemara in Megillah tells us is to let us know that in order to be Makabal the Torah, the same way Harsinai was the most humble of our all mountains, you need humility in order to accept the Torah. We need humility in order to, to uh, you know, uh, understand, like we said before, that ultimately in our minds, there's no way to fully grasp um, anything. And Moshe himself, who was one of Nikol Adam, the most humble of all people, learned this from Harsinai. And that's what it means, Moshe Kiba. What he get? Not only the Torah, but he got, he accepted from Sinai this lesson of the importance of being humble as we approach the words of Torah. Humble means, very important, to be humble doesn't mean I humble myself in front of people who are equal to me, lesser than me, so on. You know, so that's how our minds think. Oh, I'm a humble person. Yeah, look, uh, I, I humble myself in front of people greater than me. No, humbling ourselves in front of people be greater than us is called being a realist. Yeah, uh, I'm humble because that, <laughs> that person's greater than me. To be humble means to even humble ourselves in front of those who are not. We don't view necessarily as if they are greater than us. Okay, let's keep moving on in the Mishnah. So Moshe Kibel Torah Misinai. Moshe accepted the Torah from Sinai. And he gave it over to Yehoshua. He handed it over to Yehoshua. He gave him the power, the ability to keep transmitting the Torah to all of Klal Yisrael. And Yeshua passed it over to the Zikanim. Uzikanim Linavim. And the Zikanim passed it over to the Nevi'im, the era of the prophets. We now are going from Rebbe to, to Talmud, from teacher student, and we're moving fast among the generations. Now we're going to the 
period of the Nevi'im, which ended towards the beginning of the Second Temple, and the Nevi'im handed it over, passed it over to the men of the Great Assembly. We're now towards the, towards the end of the era of the Second Mason Mikdash. We, just, we know the Second Temple lasted for 420 years, so we're, we're now moving along in the terms of centuries, all right? And now, well, now that we got down to the men of the Great Assembly, the Anshik Nesakadola, who received all of Torah Sheba now let's learn from their lives. And here we go. Hey, Mamru Shleishadavar. The Anche Knesset Hagadola embodied and focused on the following three things. It says, if you translate it literally, it means the, they said three things. Now, these are the men of the Great Assembly. They wrote the whole sitter. They said a lot more than just three things. So, Hey, Mamru Shleishadavar means that they gave three things that every Jew is supposed to focus on in order to be the best Yid that we can possibly be. And that is, number one, have misunim badin, be very careful in judgment. This does not only refer to a judge. This means how we judge others, and how we judge ourselves. Be very misunamadin. Don't be quick to judge. Unfortunately, this has to be stressed. And uh, a class like Turkey Elvis, we're going to take uh, into our personal lives, even though in the, sh- in the drushes that we give in Shul and other times we stay away from current events and world affairs and we focus on the, the Pasuk and each of us walk away with our own view and understanding of that Pusik and how it, it how it involves our own lives. But over here, we have to be very, very, we really need to take this in and, and talk and discuss how careful we need to be of Masunam Adin. Be careful and deliberate and slow in judgment when we live in a world of pictures, uh, snapshot videos, people jumping to conclusions, rushing to decisions, from a small clip, from seeing somebody involved in uh, in something else that's uh, that's going on, I just had this recently. Interestingly, I was walking in. Uh, I walked into Seven Eleven on Olive. I walked in with my kids, and I saw um, somebody who's you know sometimes comes to shul, a wonderful person who, you know, I uh, they walk around like they're an observant person, and you know they they. Keep all the basic mitzvahs. You never know what goes behind on behind the person's door, as we're going to learn in Turkey Avos. Don't judge a person until you reach their place. And the Mepharshim say it means because everything might look good on the outside, but behind closed doors, they might, you know, they might look fantastic outside. But once you get into their house, you realize they're actually monsters and they're not nice people and the whole thing's a, a, a farce. Meanwhile, you know, uh, we're honoring them at all the dinners. Um, but uh, uh, in their own homes, there's unfortunately, um, you know, domestic things that are going on. But be it as it may, so this person ultimately looked, and I saw them purchasing, a, a, I thought they kept kosher, you know. I thought I'm their rabbi, but, you know, they don't always ask me questions. Some people, you could tell you, you know, some people, you know you're their rabbi. Something goes on in their life, they give you a call, they discuss it, right? Other people, you become their rabbi when they're in trouble. 
Other people, yeah, they never ask. They're just like, all right, yeah, we'll, we'll see. Uh, we'll, yeah, we'll see every once in a while. Yeah, we'll see on uh, Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur. So I walked into 7-Eleven and this person is standing there buying a hot dog from the roller, you know, that, that rolling machine you know, in front of 7-Eleven. Like, okay, but don't say nothing, you know, maybe, I, okay, but you, you, you put in the files, you file it away for, for the appropriate time. And, um, I walk out with my Slurpees uh, with me and my kids. And this person walks over to me and they say, Rabbi, I don't know what you were thinking when I bought the hot dogs, but I want you to know that I have a non-Jewish woman working for me. And she heard I was going to 7-Eleven. She asked me if I could pick up a hot dog for her for lunch. I just want you to know I keep kosher. You don't need to be concerned about me. And I was like, so I said, oh, Baruch Hashem, you know, I was. I didn't know whether to judge. <laughs> I'm keeping an eye. I am your rabbi. I got it. You know, but you got to be deliberate. You got to be careful. You have to file things away. Doesn't mean you ignore something necessarily. You put it. You have to balance things out, right? Is it? Is it? Yeah. Don't be hasty. Don't be so quick to judge what's going on, what happened in that uh, in any uh, particular situation. Every single one of us is a judge on a constant basis. We're always doing this, and it does. Interestingly, it doesn't say don't judge others, because sometimes you need to notice. Rather, it says you got to be very careful. And we know the Torah commands us when you judge, judge favorably. Not don't judge. When you don't judge anybody, we had this discussion in Prague before. A person says, Oh, I'm non judgmental. Very often it means you don't even care. If you care about somebody, you notice what's going on. You're not going to ignore it, but you got to be very careful to judge it favorably. Not only it's referring to a judge, true, a judge should be delivered in judgment, but every single one of us needs to be careful about uh, about uh, what we're looking at and and judge it accordingly. In addition to that, an additional pshat in having mesunim adin is be very careful, be very deliberate. In how you and how you handle a situation, how you handle a dim, how you handle a case, a story that comes your way in the uh, big green uh, art scroll on Perky Avis, they bring down a story of uh, Rev uh, Rev Nissen Telushkin, who he was a a big Pisic and. On Erev Pesach, a woman sent her grandson to him with a shaila. And usually, you know, people have their whole Mesorah, how they make charaisis for the Pesach scene, you know, make charaisis. This type of apple, that type of apple, what the, yeah, you put in the the walnuts or the almonds, you put in uh, what type of wine you put in, the cinnamon. So here was her shaila. The shaila this woman center of Telushkin was, she sent a grandson on Erev Pesach. She forgot to buy cinnamon to put into the charaisas. Are she allowed to make charaisas with no cinnamon? That's her big shaila of the day. All right? So what's the answer? Of course. Yeah. Tell Bubby it's okay. Yeah. Go, 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 go tell Bubby. Uh, yeah. There's no mitzvah. You don't need cinnamon in here. What did Rav Talushkin do? 
What did he do? He walked over to the shelf, pulled out a Shulchan Aruch, flips through it for a few minutes. He finally closes it and he tells, he tells the grandson, the young, the, the young child, he says, tell your Bubby that this year, because she forgot, this year it's okay. This year it's okay. But next year, she should be very careful to buy cinnamon right when she, after Purim. Buy cinnamon in advance, Kashla Pesach cinnamon. This way she won't forget. Okay? Then, Rav Tulushkin goes to the side room and he takes out a bottle of wine and he says, uh, tell your Bubby uh, this wine's for her. She should have a good yacht. Okay? So, why is this a story? I'll tell you why. Because Rav Tulushkin knew in this situation, this is heavy misunin, he'd be very deliberate, very careful. If he were to just say, yeah, no, no problem. Yeah, yeah, yeah go home, no problem. The grandson or even the grandmother would think, oh, it was a dumb question. And they're going to be embarrassed to start asking questions again. By taking somebody's question seriously, even if it's not such a serious question, in the big picture, it's going to encourage people to keep asking questions. Because there's times where a big question will come up and be like, oh, it's probably a dumb question. I don't want to go ask. And this doesn't only apply to Rabbanim. It doesn't apply to the situations, right? It applies to interactions we have with others. When we give a snide remark, I'll tell you another, I'll tell you a, a similar story. I have my own family, my own kids. This is probably going back, I'm not the best with years. I would say eight, nine years ago. Eight, nine years ago. All right, we're living in St. Louis. I'm driving the kids to Torah Prep Girls School, soon to be Oliver Shon. Okay? Because the, they're moving to McNair, Mertzashem. So I'm, I'm driving the kids to school. I don't know who's in the cars. Yaakov, Leah, and the twins were, the, who knows? Anyway, so we're driving up Blackberry behind the McNair building. You know where it like bends around and hits Swarthmore and then Groby? So we're driving around. I got four kids in the car. And one of the one of the younger kids says, "Look, a tree. Is a tree? Okay, there's a tree." And I said, "Wow, yeah, there's a tree. Yeah, that's a big tree. Okay, whatever I said. I don't know why I had this epiphany at that moment, where I thought to myself, Baruch Hashem, I don't have any adolescents in the car right now. You know why?" Because if this kid were to have an 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14-year-old in the car, and they say, look, a twee. You know what an adolescent may say? We all know the tree. We say, dumb tree, so. <laughs> right? What does it put into that young child's mind? Don't talk anymore. Don't express yourself. Don't say something when you feel you have something to say. It's very important in our daily lives to be misunim badim, to judge situations carefully, not to shun, not to mock, not to put people down, so on and so forth. Not to, otherwise, they're going to be uncomfortable the next time. Very, very important, beautiful, and powerful message. Having misunim badim. Secondly, the Hamidu Talmidim Harbe. Hamidu means 
to stand up many students. It doesn't just mean to teach others. How do you stand somebody up? By building them, allowing them to make their own mistakes and ultimately gain independence. You don't want somebody, we don't want people that are always dependent and can't earn independence. We want people who can get becoming that. That doesn't mean to have many students, teach many students. No, the goal is not to teach. The goal is that students should learn. And there's a big difference between a person who walks into a classroom saying, I'm going to teach these kids. And a person who walks into a classroom and says, these kids are going to learn. Because if I want to teach, that doesn't necessarily mean they're learning. But if I'm focused on that child learning, then how I teach is going to vary. Because the goal is not for me to teach. The goal is for this person to learn. And this applies. The classroom, again, is just a muscle. It's just a parable. It's how we interact with others. It's what we're doing. It's am I interacting in a way where I'm allowing this person to stand up, let me do, stand up and gaining their ultimate own independence. And number three, they taught us to make a fence around Torah. What does that mean? So many of us may read this Mishnah and say, that's probably what the rabbinic commandments are. You know, the Torah is the red line, and the Rabbanim make uh, halachos, midrabbanon, to protect the Torah. So Vesiyot make fences for the Torah. This is true. However, the Rishonim say an unbelievable thing, a beautiful thing. And they say as follows. The Asusiyag is an instruction to us as individuals. The Anshak Nasekdola weren't telling us. This is an instruction to a yid. It's not an instruction to the rabbis. An instruction to me. How am I supposed to make a siyag for Torah? How do I make a fence for Torah? How do I do that? The rabbis make a fence and I just follow. The answer is nisht. That's not the way it works. Here's how it works. Every yid has their own place, their own part, their own chalek in Torah that they own and they need to develop. And every single one of us is born with strengths and weaknesses. We know what our strengths are. We know what our weaknesses is. We know what our weaknesses are. And they vary. They change. As we go through life, weeks, months, years, things are always... I'm, I'm good in this, and then I become weaker. I'm stronger. And then, and then a decade later, I might have a relapse from, from uh, something, which is not really a relapse, because HaKadosh Baruch Hu just sent me another Yitzhahara, you know, that I thought I, I was doing pretty good in. And now the Yitzhahara got a little smarter, you know, and, and uh, is trying to knock me down a little bit later in life like that. Yeah, there, there's always things for us to consider. The Asusiyag Lataira means we need to be very crafty in protecting our own Torah. So if Menachem Tendler knows that I am struggling in a particular area of Yiddishkeit, I have the right and I should make my own fences. Even if other people think it's Meshuggah, even if people think I'm nuts. Asusi Yog 
A person needs to know their strengths, know their weaknesses, and protect what it is. So if a person struggles with Lashon Har, how do you make a siyag? Well, for some people, their siyag might be, I don't talk for from 1 p.m. to 3 p.m. every day. Somebody else hears about that. They're like, oh, tell me you're such a frummy. Oh, you're frummy. Yeah, the Torah doesn't want you to keep your mouth shut. The Torah wants that you should say positive things. So instead of being macabre to not talk at all, why don't you be macabre to only say positive things between 1 and 3 o'clock? And you know what the answer is? First of all, it ain't none of your business. And second of all, <laughs> second of all, I know myself, and I don't need to tell this to the person, but I know myself that if I were to start talking, I'm going to relapse back to Lashonara. So I have a right to look like a Meshuggah fanatic. Other people think I'm crazy, but I know it's not. I know I have a weakness. Somebody else has a weakness with uh, the stealing. Somebody else might have a weakness with uh, morality, uh, things that they're addicted to. Oh, uh, what do you, uh, I stay away from something. Oh, you're being so, uh, such a fanatic about it for. You don't, need any, you don't even need a response. So it's nobody's business. But we should protect our Torah, to, even if it looks funny to other people, even if it looks funny. Once we know ourselves, it's so important that we're true to who we are, protect what we have, which includes our own individualized our place in Torah and Be'ezus Hashem, Next week on Monday night at 8.45, we will pick up from Mishnah Bays. That is the end of today's year. I cannot believe we're at about 45 minutes already. Um, <laughs> I felt like I just started. Um, if anybody has any questions or discussion, please feel free to add in now.